You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word today? The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, starting in verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who he called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for men, for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their nets, the boat, and their father, and followed him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the blessing of this day. We thank you for your word written down that we have that enlivens us. We thank you for your living word in Jesus Christ. And today, Father, it's my prayer that your word come not merely in syllables and sounds, but as Paul prayed, in power, in full conviction, and with your Holy Spirit. This is all of our prayer, in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, believe it or not, today, one year ago, this weekend, was my first Sunday to preach as the senior minister at First Christian. Now, we had started in August, but the first time I got up to preach officially was, was in September. Now, I know we could make a lot of comments, right? It's been a great year. It's been a fantastic year. But what would be those comments? Oh, but COVID and six months. Can you, we would have said cliches like, could you believe what would have happened in this first year? I don't want to go there. In fact, instead, I want to tell you what my invisible task has been over these last 12 months. It's actually been longer than 12 months. It's been a little secret mission that I've been involved in where I've been asking you about this group of believers. And I started by asking the elders and their spouses and asking the ministers, all right, tell me about the reason why this church exists. Tell me about this church's mission, this church's purpose. And I've been listening and hearing I have been uh, uh, paying close attention, not to just what's printed, but to what's written on the hearts and lives of the people that are a part of this church. Well, you've got a card in front of you. So today we get an exam. One year in, it's time for me to give you an exam. Now, if, if you're a part of an elder couple, I don't want you to speak up, but I still want you to write on here. I want you to write what the mission is of First Christian. Now, no cheating. Don't look around different places. 
just write down what the church mission is for first Christian. Has everybody got it down? Okay, now I'm putting you on the spot here, so just raise your hand if you could tell me what it is. Okay, I see some folks. All right, Mary, you've already, we've already got to hear wonderful things from you. Can you call it out to me? Friendship. Friendship, okay, thank you. We know that's been true. I was going to let you say, okay, bring Jesus. Yes, that's good. Anybody else? Spread the word of God to others. This is good too. Love one another. Love one another in Christ. Thank you guys for being brave to speak up and share what the mission is. Now, if you look around our literature, if you, if you look uh, onto our website, you will see the statement, bring Jesus to a community in need. As I went about my mission, I was trying to find what people would say. And so I was looking into historical documents, things that were printed down, and I've seen how the wording has changed, how things have been different through the years, depending upon what anniversary it might be or how far removed we are from the start. But we've been looking deeply into our mission, and I've been doing it at a secret level. In fact, early in the first few weeks of this year, as a group of elders and ministers, we got together and we talked about this mission, our purpose, our reason for existing. We talked about it later in the spring, even in our first meeting in the midst of COVID. And then two months ago, back in the late part of the summer, the elders and the ministers got together with some other folks to say, all right, how is it that we can embody this mission? And you know what came up time and time again? What came up over and over again, and it's in your words, but it's in different words, is the word discipleship. And the word disciple. Of of being a follower of Jesus. And as I asked folks, I could tell that this was not just something that we talk about, but it's something that's wired into our existence. Because as I've listened and as I've watched, for 116 plus years, this has been a place where people have been formed into the image of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll tell you a secret. That's one of the reasons Donna and I and the kids came here is because of what we saw in you. We saw people whose lives matched up to the reality of Jesus Christ who had been doing it for decades, for more than a century. And we have seen over this last year as men and women have come back here who aren't members of this congregation right now, but who point to this space and to this group of people and say, I was formed in the faith here. And they want to come back. And they want to see you. And they're connected to us. And I've been stunned. I can't believe how many people have said, yeah, we're, we're watching you guys online. They don't necessarily know me, but they know you. And they know the history of this place. I've seen it wired into the existence of this folk. Whenever someone who's a former elder 
uh, like, like Tom or like Bud, continues in teaching, this teaching ministry, I see that it's in, in discipleship is at the front. Whenever I see Todd on a weekly basis pressing through in COVID to teach and gather people together, I know how important this is. When I see someone like a Debbie Mitchell, who over the years has been involved in so many things, leading in missions committee, I know that it's infused within us. And whenever we talk about some newcomers, like the Port Valise, 1982, right? We grieve whenever we think about folks like that going and being away from us. But it, these, are, these are names, these are representations of how this is impressed upon us. Two weeks ago, we buried uh, one of our former elders, Dick Stansberry. And I have never had someone ask me for their funeral to do the Great Commission as their funeral text. Well, that's what Dick asked. That doesn't come out of thin air for someone to ask at their funeral that the Great Commission about making disciples be what's talked about. That comes from gathering on Friday nights at Art Cordova's Bible study. That comes over many, many years and decades. Right? And I could go on and on. I've only mentioned a few names, a few places. The mission is the same. This has been a place, and it will continue to be a place, where disciples are nurtured and facilitated, where it's almost natural that people develop and follow Jesus. Well, so why deal with mission statements? Why talk about them? You know, there's two things that ends up getting asked about mission statements. You know, what is a mission statement and why should I care about it? And, and if you think about your work and your business or different organizations that you've been a part of, mission statements are typically there, but how often is it that someone can actually write it down or articulate it or say it? Or even more, that it becomes impressed upon them and their lives and who they are. Well, most people don't know it. Most people don't care. But what we've found here at First Christian is a group of people that are saying and speaking and acting in a way that wants to follow Jesus, in a way that wants to get in line behind Jesus. And the elders and the ministers, even though this has been clear, that discipleship is what we're about, we want focus. We want clarity. There are many good things that any person or any group of people could do. There are a lot of good directions. But how do we have focus? How do we have clarity and discernment to know which good things that we're going to do? Because we don't want to head off in many different directions. We want to focus and intentionally go in a direction together as a group of people. Okay, so what is a mission statement? A mission statement tells you what someone, what a group does. It tells us what we do. It tells us who we serve. And it tells us how we accomplish what we do and who we serve. So at a very simple level, if you're to talk about a business or a church or a person, person it tells us something about what we do, what that person is about, what that group of people is about. 
and it tells them their constituents or who they serve. Now, for me, I find that it's sometimes helpful to distinguish between a mission and a vision. A mission describes today, it describes identity, what a group of people does. It's core. It stays. A vision kind of looks off in the future. It's aspirational. It's about tomorrow, what someone might become. And in that sense, it might be a little dreamy. You have to start with mission. You have to start with who we are and what our identity is so that we know who we are and what we're about. It's kind of like the You Are Here sticker on the mall map. Not that any of us get to go to malls anymore. But whenever you're in a big place and you know, I want to go to this store, it doesn't really matter that you want to go to that store unless you know where you're at. And whenever I come into a mall and I don't pay attention to where I am, and I just look through the, through the list and I find, okay, that's where I want to go. I want to go to Barnes & Noble. And I start heading off assuming that I'm coming in an east door when I'm coming in a west door. It doesn't really matter that I have this vision for the future. It matters where I'm at, what I'm to be about, and what I'm to be doing. Well, with bringing Jesus to a community in need, what I have seen in that is a desire to take Jesus, a desire to communicate the message of Jesus. I have seen it expressed in your lives as disciples that have stretched over a century. And my family has seen it as well. And what we're talking about today alters and changes it. So you almost have to ask a question, well, why, why would we change it? And so let me make some words let me make some clarifications here. Whenever we talk about bringing Jesus to a community in need, there's some things that are implied. If I say that that is our mission, bring Jesus to a community in need, then it implies that Jesus is not already where I might take him. Do you see that difference? It implies that, that Jesus isn't already ahead of me, that Jesus isn't present everywhere, and that can be a problem. Another thing that it does is it implies that I have some kind of ownership over Jesus, that I'm the one maybe tucking Jesus under my arm and taking Jesus somewhere, that I might possess Jesus. And it's not really about ownership or control over Jesus, right? Another thing that I ran into is as I search scripture, trying to find a way to communicate, bring Jesus, it's not there. There aren't passages about bringing Jesus. You can find passages where people are brought to Jesus, usually the infirm, right? People come and they want to find Jesus, they want to be with Jesus, or they are brought, hey, come see, come see Jesus. But someone taking or carting Jesus doesn't really happen in scripture. Some of the words that we've used, the belonging and connecting, uh, in some ways sound great because we want people to be a part of us. We want people to connect with our ministries. These are good things. But it also can imply kind of an insider mentality where we want you with us. Bringing Jesus, the great stuff about it, is that it launches us outward. It launches us towards a focus on the outsider. 
The idea of growth, well, growth is good. We, 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 when we talk about the spiritual life, a lot of times people talk about growth. But without a clear object, growth cannot be good. How many of you have had growths removed from your body? So growth that's not specific isn't going to help. How many of you at the end of the year think about the growth in your waistline? If we don't know how or in what ways we're intending to grow, we might have something that needs to be cut off or something that means we're in need of a diet. But what's true, what's the same, is that we believe in the power of Jesus to transform and change, to change people's attitudes, to change people's lives. And the heart and the intention is there. We want to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So where do we start? Where do we go? Well, open up your Bibles again to Matthew. This is where we have already heard this classic text from Jesus. And we get this very simple story where Jesus communicates his message compactly, concisely. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in Matthew, is at hand. It is here and it is available. Jesus' preaching is not complex. It's not even really confusing. The reign of God, the ability to access God, is now open to all. It's like a doorway that we can walk through. This life with God is here and available. The expectation in this simple message of repentance is not a fancy religious word like we've turned it into, but a turning word, a changing of the mind. It's as if you are going in one direction and you stop and you turn around and you go in a completely different direction. You are wanting to go in the direction of the rule of God, to let God reign over you. Now, that, that's a classic story. That's a very important change of direction. And it challenges us, especially now. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to turn into the kingdom of God and let that be our message, it means that Jesus is our leader. It means that America is not our leader. It means that even the business that we work for, as much as we earn a living from them, is not our leader. Our family that we love so dearly, they don't have quite the same pull as the pull of Jesus Christ. Well, this classic story doesn't stop with Jesus and his very short proclamation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The story that we know and that we love that still stuns us today a story that in some form or another is in all of the Gospels, shows up here in Matthew 4, where he finds two sets of brothers. Two pairs of brothers that are fishermen. And we love this story. Peter and Andrew, they're casting their nets into the sea. They have a life. They have a job. They have families. They have a place that they are living and existing. And Jesus approaches them and says, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And they immediately drop their nets. I don't know if they dropped them 
the sea and they sink to the bottom, or if they leave them floating in the sea, or if they toss them on the shore, it doesn't matter. They leave their nets. They leave their jobs and what's familiar behind, and they go forward with Jesus. Now, the natural question to ask when someone says, follow me, and I have teenagers in my house, so I'm used to having questions asked of me a lot. The natural question to ask whenever someone gives a command, follow me, is to ask a question. Where are you going? Or why? Yeah. But they don't ask that. There are no questions that are asked. It is not asked of Jesus, well, where are you going? And how long will we be gone? No questions. All the questions are dropped along with their nets, and they follow. Jesus goes just a little bit further, goes to James and John. It's the same story, right? They are mending nets, but they're in boats, so maybe this is a little wealthier family. Got some hired hands. They're in the, net, they're in the boat with their father. And James and John leave their nets in the boat. They leave the boat, and they leave their father in the boat, and they follow Jesus. They're leaving all behind. It's immediate and it's stunning. Wow. Our mission is portrayed in very graphic form by this very short story. It lets us know what's important about a mission. It tells us what you do, and it tells us who we serve, and in time, it's going to tell us how and what that looks like. But for now, it's just about what you do and who you serve. Well, this is a foundational text, and I, I think that a lot of times we just treat it as a foundational text and not a formative text. We look at Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and we say, well, th those guys are apostles. No, 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 not yet. They're disciples. They are invited to follow. So we treat it as this description of, well, that's about them, it's how they came to follow Jesus. And we don't let it define what our path of discipleship is to look like. And it is. Of course they did become apostles, but they were disciples first. A disciple is very simply a follower. They get in line behind someone. Whenever Jesus says, come follow me, what he is literally saying is, get behind me, and let's go. Now in cycling, I get this. It's really helpful when you have someone that is in front of you that you can draft on, and you can hug onto their tire, and you can conserve all kinds of energy. Getting in behind someone is different from when you take the lead. There's a whole lot more wind on you, there's a whole lot more resistance, and you are helping the people that are behind you. In this case, it's very clear. They are getting in line behind Jesus and following Jesus. So scripture points to this. The early church knew that following Jesus was what they were about. And we're invited personally into this corporate venture. Well, I told you what a mission statement is, that it's about what you do, it's, it's about your ID, it's about who you're serving and how you're able to do that. But I didn't tell you the answer to the question of, well, who cares? You know, 
Who cares that this is the mission? Why should we care? Well, as leaders of this church, your elders and your ministers want you to know very clearly and succinctly what we are about. And that is following Jesus. We are entering into the reign of God. We are getting behind Jesus. And we want you to not only know that, be able to express that. To be able to let that guide your every moment and your every minute of your day. That you would be following Jesus. That it would help you make decisions and be able to discern things. To clarify and simplify the wording, which is really all we're doing, right? Because we've been doing this same thing for a long, long time. Following Jesus. Making disciples of Jesus. To clarify it is not to try to make it easier. Not to make it less threatening. To clarify it is to make it to where we can all join into this mission. If you're raising a five-year-old, and we try to communicate to that five-year-old that they need to bring Jesus to a community in need, the five-year-old's going to quickly be confused. How do I take Jesus? Which community? Where do I start? We want that five-year-old to be able to enter into this life of following Jesus and say, yes, I can do that. I can follow Jesus. That's something I can be a part of. Whenever Jesus was walking the shore, he didn't start an apostleship class. He said, come follow me. He established relationship. He established a presence with them. And we want this to be the kind of thing where a 96-year-old can look and say, yes, I follow Jesus. Because a lot of times our response is, well, do you follow Jesus? Yeah, I follow Jesus. I was baptized on. Or... Let me tell you uh, about the church that I'm involved in. I try to go once a month. Or maybe some of you will say, well, no, I go every week. That's excellent. Maybe you go further and you say, these are the ways that I'm involved in service. That's excellent too. Maybe you even kind of point in the rearview mirror and say, well, these are the things that I've done in the past. That's great too. That's excellent. But with following Jesus, there's no task complete box to check. It's about now. What does that look like for you in the present moment? That's one of the great things about Jesus' call in this text and through all of the Gospels as he invites us to follow him. It is fresh every day. It's challenging every day. It's no less threatening then or now than it was back then to let go of your nets and to see where you're sitting in the sand and to think about where Jesus might take you. Following Jesus is definitely something that we do. It's definitely something that identifies who we serve. And I'm inviting you. You've got that card in front of you. We're going to be thinking about this for a couple of weeks. This is all kind of more or less a sneak peek because you're going to begin to see language change through the fall because we're trying as leaders to internalize this. It probably won't be until January until we talk about this more in earnest, but over the next two or three weeks, I want us to look intently at what it means to follow Jesus. Next week, we'll be looking at some of the hows of what this looks like. But for you, on that card and through this week, I just want you to think about how you are following Jesus. 
This is something where Jesus comes and he doesn't really ask a question. He makes a command and says, follow me. There's no follow-up question. It's not like a spelling bee. And your word is loquacious. Uh, could you repeat the word again? Loquacious. Uh, can, you, can you give me the word origin? Yeah, middle 15th century. Uh, can you give me the definition? It's very talkative. Loquacious. There's no follow-up question. Jesus offers this invitation and says, come follow me. Come with me where you are right now, in the present. Look around at the sand that you find yourself sitting in. Think about your life. Think about what it means for you to enter the reign of God now. Hopefully many of you have done that long ago, but I want us to do it in the present moment, to enter this new reality in the skin of your own existence. Because the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, shows us that God is willing to get messy with us. That God is willing to go into business with you in your life, and He wants to. And He's tireless, He's relentless in His effort to walk alongside of you in this life. So how will you follow Jesus in the ordinary? As a teacher. How will you follow Jesus as you work in your business, on your finances, as a person that is uh, in school. How will you follow Jesus? While the message and our mission really isn't changing, we're trying to clarify it. We're trying to align that wording to where it can be something that we as longtime believers can enter and where someone who's new to the faith can say, yes, I'll give that a try for a while. I'll watch. I'll see how you follow Jesus. And maybe I'll keep going. We want this to be a pathway that all of us can get in, into. We want to let go of our control. That somehow we can hold tight to Jesus or control Jesus. No, we're just all on the same plane. We are behind Jesus, even as leaders. We are behind Jesus and following wherever he goes. There's a story that I love about uh, a horse, a man that's riding on a horse that is going at breakneck speed. And someone is observing this horse coming and he calls out to the rider because you never know where someone might be going and they say, where are you going? And the horse tick, 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 goes right past. I don't know, ask the horse. old story speaks such truth about our lives. A lot of times we are held captive to our desires. We're held captive to our schedules. We're riding on these horses that might be pulling us apart, and we don't really know where we're going because we're just hanging on for dear life. Whenever you know your mission, whenever you know your reason for existence, you're able to know where you are and where you are going. You're able to know what you're to be about doing. But probably most importantly of all, you know who it is that you serve. And that answers all of the questions. In fact, that drops the question where we don't even have to ask when Jesus says, follow me. We don't have to say, where are you going? 
Because we know the answer to the question. I'm going with Jesus. That's where I'm going. Let's pray. God, your wisdom and your brilliance is just beyond measure for us. It's overwhelming. When I look at a story like this, and it's so simple, it's so obvious, it just kind of stuns me. And so I pray that you'll be with each one of us this week as we think about how we're following Jesus. As we get honest and real that there are places where we're weak, places where we're not following Jesus, rooms that we're protecting, history that we're hiding. And we just pray, Father, that we can let go of those things because of how good and how great you are. Would you help us to do what you've called us to do, to follow Jesus, to grow in imitating him. Thank you for not leaving us alone, but filling us with your spirit, for taking us forward into the future. And we ask this fervently through Jesus' name. Amen.